Good morning, Shore Church. It is so good to be with you today. Uh, my name is Cliff Ursel. Uh, I'm the associate minister at Westside. And uh, actually, I know a bunch of you, and I was really excited to come and see you. And, well, you're not here. What happened? What's going on? Now, I have a false uh, sense of relationship with you because uh, some of you uh, at the Shore were part of my uh, young adults group way back in the day. I- I've even married some of your elders. Uh, if you look at Jesse and Sabrina's home and uh, you see this guy who is looking at, uh, you know, awkwardly, uh, that- that's me. And, and so uh, I'm really happy to be with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms chapter 40. We're going to look at Psalms chapter 40, verses 1 through to 3. And it's a, if you've been in church, you might know this psalm. Uh, if you're a U2 fan, you will definitely know this psalm. Uh, let me read it for you. Psalms chapter 40, verses 1 to 3. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you that we can just come together uh, for this time right right here and right now. Lord, I pray that wherever we are in uh, life, whether life is good, life is challenging, that you'd meet us where we're at. Lord, speak to us in this text, I pray. Praise your good name. Amen. So I have a question for you. How do you respond to hardships? Like difficulty and the pressures of life uh, as they come in, how, how do you respond and, you know, we always give the, the, the right answer. I, I respond pretty good. You know, if we feel a little bit vulnerable, we might say, every once in a while I have difficulty. But if we're going to be true, uh, the answer to how we respond to hardship, the true answer is it depends. Like, uh, it depends on how long the hardship has been going on for. Like, I, I've gone into some uh, situations where I'm feeling great, like, I've got faith, uh, I, I feel fortified, and, you know, hope, I'm ready to go. And then, it, you know, a week in, weeks turn into months, and I get tired, and I start to drift. I, I, I'm not as resolute as I was, and how I handle the hardship is different after a period of time than when it first started. Uh, maybe it depends on how we were doing before the hardship came. Like, if our spiritual disciplines were solid, uh, if, I, if my mental health was pretty good and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling uh, physically healthy, I'm going to do better. But when, uh, if hardship hit and I haven't been as faithful with the Lord as I wanted to, and maybe I've been a terrible husband and a father or whatever, I'm not going to handle it as well. Uh, One for me uh, is uh, how I handle hardship is depends on how much damage it's doing. Like, I'm going to handle the hardship of navigating an ICBC claim very different. Like, that's annoying, right? Like, you know, you're on the, you're, you're calling and it's claim numbers and I get nervous giving my story on being rear-ended, I somehow think I'm guilty and I'm not going to get covered. Uh, and, and like, it's a big deal. But then there's actually real 
damage, like the death of a family member. And all of a sudden, the hardship is a lot more painful. And for me, uh, our family, we've had to deal and navigate with a lot of death in the last 15 years. We buried a lot of people that we love. And for me as a, as a dad, I look at my kids, I'm like, how, how are you doing? Like, how, how are you navigating? What, what are you telling yourself about God? Like, God's true, but is he loving? Like, these are the things. That, and, and now the hardship that I think my family might be having to go again in the next three to six months, have to go through that hardship again. I'm, I'm sitting there going, this, this damage is it's big. How do you handle hardship? In this text, King David is navigating hardship. And in this text, it's gonna, we're going to see, we're going to learn, uh, I, I hope, that we can see God and we can experience God. Because here's what, here's, here's what happens when, when hardship comes. We start asking some important questions. One of the questions we ask is, God, where are you in all of this? And the story that you're telling yourself is that God is not near. It's like when hardship comes, if we, if we don't handle this properly, uh, we actually will put God on trial. When you read uh, books like Job or Habakkuk, and, and we sit there and it's the, where are you? And we seem to forget that God is near. We forget that the name for Jesus is Emmanuel, which is God with us. Another time, a deeper question that we'll ask, a vulnerable question we'll ask is, God, why are you allowing this? And what we're telling ourselves is, while this is happening, God can't redeem this. It's too bad. It's too far gone. There's, there's too much. Uh, uh, all I see is darkness. And we're telling ourselves that God's not with us. God can't use this. It's, it's too far gone. And this text comes and pushes back against all of that. See, I could say that this is a really relevant text because uh, you and I globally were feeling these massive uh, pressures because of COVID and the compounded effects of COVID where it's, it's having an impact on us, and that's totally true. But even COVID aside, this is a church who's in transition, and you're like, oh, man, I'm really feeling it, and that's totally true, but it's even more than that. This is just every day. I've been in pastoral ministry for 30 years, and I've watched people come into hardship, and it always goes one of two ways. It's either where we actually are, we, we double down on our relationship with Christ, uh, or we veer off and we get hard, and we get bitter. This is a big deal because as a culture, I don't know that we know how to handle loss, pain, disappointment, betrayal. We have our own metrics on how to do this. And then this text comes and pulls us right in, and it shows us that we can see God, what He's doing, and we can experience Him. Verse 1, the waiting. David writes, in his hardship, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, at the risk of you know, um, maybe I'm, I'm, the way I preach, I'm, 
I, I'm not going to drop these big truth bombs. I'm going to show you things that you already know. This text, there, it implies that there's this normalizing of hardship. Two-thirds of the Psalms are lament. And here David, who's done nothing wrong at this point, near as we can see, is in difficulty. So Christian, can I ask you a question? When the hardship comes, why do we all of a sudden act like we just got sucker punched? What just happened? And we're caught off on our back heel. And we go into crisis mode. We have a crisis of our relationship with, with the Lord. We, we have a crisis of all of the different God-informed steps that we've done. And we somehow go into this crisis and we second-guess questions we should never second-guess. If you're married, you don't second-guess your marriage commitment to your spouse. I don't care what's happening. We have to recognize and normalize that, as Jesus said in John 16, in this life we will have tribulation. That is a certainty. So can we adjust our expectations and just go, okay, I, I, I'm going to expect this. Like right now, if you're not going through hardship, praise God, you are preparing right now for your next one. It's coming. It's, it's a certainty. We live in a sin-cursed earth. And as believers of Jesus, we, we have this, uh, th this funny, it's, the theologians call this the already and the not yet. We've experienced some of this goodness of knowing Jesus, redemption and love within the body. But there's also, we bump up against our, our sin tendencies and the way people sin against us. Don't get disheartened when hardship comes. It's, it's, it's almost explicit in this text, when you read it in the context, let's just normalize the fact that hardship comes. You know, a few years ago, uh, I had probably my biggest hardship that I've had to endure, and I didn't handle it super well. Uh, I spiraled into deep, deep depression. Uh, for like three years, I, I would literally, I, I would tell my wife, it's so dark, I can't see. I wasn't able to normalize tribulation. I had no metric to handle loss, pain, disappointment, and betrayal. This psalm can help us. One of the things that we can do is to, to just recognize, yeah, I live in a fallen world. My sinfulness it will impact me. The sinfulness of those around me is going to bump up against me, and it's going to turn into hardship. Okay. The second thing that we see in verse 1 is this. Like, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, you and I, we don't do that, do we? Come on, be honest. You, you don't wait patiently. I don't. Whenever I am in a situation and a tribulation, I am immediately looking for the emergency exit. How do I get out of here? This surely can't be the will of God. It's definitely not the will of me. And how do I get out of here? And we just look for the exit. We assume that something in the waiting is wrong. The way our culture is wow, uh, uh, set up right now, uh, we actually think waiting is an injustice. 
that something bad is being done to us when we are told to wait, right? We get offended, don't we? We walk up to the restaurant, the maitre d', a table for two, just wait. What? Just, you just tell me to just wait? No, 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 I'm asking for a table for two. Just wait. Right? We, we get offended. But what if there's something in the waiting that we're missing? One of the things that we can uh, have happen for us if we give ourselves to this process in hardship, let's normalize it, and in waiting, instead of looking for the emergency exit, let's just sit, sit there and go, okay, I'm going to settle in. Because I believe that the Lord wants us to discover some things in the waiting. Uh, to discover things about him, to, to discover things about us. Uh, I feel that so often uh, as Jesus' people, we, we, we will watch people going through hardship, and then we'll just throw these bombs that uh, aren't even theologically correct. It's like, well, there must be sin in your life, or you must be doing something wrong. What if in the waiting, we actually are able to just work through with the Lord what exactly is God doing? Because if we can figure out what God is doing, we'll know how to respond. Let me give you an example. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says that God disciplines those that he loves. So the hardship that, that you're going through, what if that is actually an answer to your prayer going, God, make me to be the person you want me to be. Lord, make me to be the person that I want me to be. And God lovingly is bringing about the correction. It, it's not always a comfortable process, but it is a good process. You know, my son was about 10 years old. Uh, I, uh, my wife and I thought, we, we just want to help Levi grow in character. And so I did what every father did. Uh, I said, you got to get a job. And you're 10, so the only job you're going to qualify for is a paper route. And so Levi gets his uh, dolly, and we did not get out of the driveway of our townhouse. I specify that because our driveway is about five feet long. It took like eight steps, and, and Levi says, oh, I'm not doing this. No, no, this is, this is not okay. And I'm like, honey, I love you, but get to it. At 10 years old, he probably didn't appreciate my tone. He probably didn't appreciate what I was doing, but now he's 24 years old. He has a job. He has some character. He's growing into the man that God wants him to be. I'm sure he sits there and goes, I'm kind of glad my dad disciplined me. And I see that my dad loved me at that time. See, Christian, if the hardship that you're going through is because God is disciplining you, you know that he loves you. So then what's our response? That we humbly pray, Father, let me learn, let me grow, let me acquire uh, the, the things that you're trying to teach me, let me embody the things that you're wanting to put in me. That's the prayer. That's the response. Not the emergency exit. It's, it's a posture of humility. It's a posture of open-handedness going, I want to be the person that you're calling me to be. That's the response to hardship in that sense. Uh, what about if it's spiritual warfare? 
Right? Ephesians 6 talks about this, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Some years ago, I was um, in uh, a part of the world where um, uh, voodoo was pretty prevalent and, and the occult was pretty prevalent. And uh, I found myself getting edgy with some people, and I watched how people were mistreating others. And it kind of hit me, hey, this actually is spiritual warfare. If you don't know what I'm talking about, here's the real simple. Uh, the idea of spiritual warfare is this, that Jesus and all the heavenly hosts are at war with Satan and all of his demonic forces. We know how it ends. Revelation tells us this, that Jesus wins. But in the meantime, there is this battle, and you and I, the physical realm, we're caught in the middle of it. And so we'll see both sides. Do you, Christian, have the discernment enough to go, oh, this is spiritual warfare? I, okay, I, I got You're not going to know that unless you just pause in the waiting. You realize, oh, right, and, and you meditate on verses in Revelation when the Apostle John says that we overcame him, Satan, by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the Lamb. The word of our testimony is Jesus is Lord. Our salvific declaration is that, and the shed blood of Jesus is all I need right now for spiritual warfare. I have to recognize that, and that my identity is in Christ. We don't have to be insecure. Like, we can go into some of the darker places of the world as Jesus' people and know that because of the word of our testimony by the blood of the Lamb, that there, though there's warfare there, we will not be a permanent casualty. But we have to be in the waiting to discern that. Last example, and there's, there's others, Right? Just the idea of you and I going, Jesus, why am I in this season? I'm just waiting patiently. Ecclesiastes 3 says that to everything there's a season. So maybe your marriage is going through a, a difficult spot. The longer you're married, statistically that's going to happen. The, the discerning Christian is going to go, oh, I'm, I'm not going to disengage from my spouse. Uh, I'm not going to all of a sudden become unloving or decide to opt out of the marriage. But in Ecclesiastes 3 says, to everything there is a season. That means your marriage has seasons. Do you have the, the, the discernment to sit there and read Ecclesiastes 3 to go, what are the seasons? And what do I do? How do I respond? And just like the seasons, we don't determine when it ends. The Lord does. Christian, I just want you to just recognize that in the hardship and in the difficulty as things are pressing in, we tend to tell ourselves narratives like God has left us or nothing good is coming out of it. But what if the text is true and that Jesus is lovingly bringing us along? The next thing that we see in our text, this is actually my favorite part. Uh, because I am not a wordsmith, uh, my second point is this. It's what God does. God does five things in these verses. He turns, he hears, 
He lifts, he sets, and he puts a new song. Let me, let's, let's unpack this. The first one, what God does, and in our text, is he turns to us. Like, he turns to us. Uh, when I was a younger, uh, I, was, I was maybe 14, 15 years old, and I was at this concert at my church, and uh, there was the headline artist, and I'm sitting, you know, in the chair, on, I, was, I happened to have an aisle seat, and I was telling my friend, I actually know the headliner. My friend goes, you have no idea who that guy is, and more importantly, he has no idea who you are. I'm like, no, 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 I, I know him. We, we, we've hung out. Shut up, Cliff. And, and as the guy is walking down the aisle onto the stage, he's been introduced, he stops, looks at me, calls me by name. And I looked at my buddy, I'm like, I told you, I told you he knew me. The idea that you and I, when somebody that we deem great, influential, important, knows us, we feel great. We feel affirmed. We feel valued. We feel loved like we matter. Don't underestimate the value of someone recognizing and knowing us. And here in this text, God turns. God turns to us. John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Christian, we have to just get past this imposter identity syndrome where we think that Jesus won't know us. If you are in Christ, he knows you. And when you call out, it's just like if, if we're in a busy place, you're to call out my name, who, who called me? You turn. The attention gets turned to the direction of the call. You have to know because of what Jesus did on the cross that he knows us. And because he knows us, he will turn to us. The next thing is, is he hears my cry. Psalm 145, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call to him, to all who call on him in truth. I know, I know that when hardship comes, like I know for me in uh, my depression, I told myself something that wasn't true. That when I would call out to God in pain, that he didn't hear me. I don't know why I told myself that. I, it must have been, you know, I was just uh, believing the, the lie of the enemy, something like that. Um, but uh, we have to just get that type of insecure thinking out. Christian, the Lord hears you. Can that just sit in? Like my daughter, when she's mad at me and I'm saying, honey, you need to do this chore, she pretends she doesn't hear me. And I know she does, which drives me even more up the wall. But it's, it's this childish coping mechanism. Look, our heavenly Father is not playing some childish mind game with you and I, pretending that he doesn't hear us. Our loving God hears us when we cry out to him. Can that just settle in? The third thing that we see that what God does is he lifted me out of the pit. 
This is a God who rescues. Here's what you and I have a problem with. I well, I do. I have a hard time believing that God would rescue me. I, I think about all the things that I've done that would disqualify me from God ever being gracious on my behalf, and I have a hard time with that. I tell myself that I actually deserve this hardship that I'm in because Jesus is punishing me or God the Father is punishing me for what I had done. The Apostle John writes in 1 John that Jesus was a propitiation for our sin. That's a really fancy word for saying that Jesus was a wrath-bearing sacrifice. This brutal death that Jesus did, dying on our place for our sins, it was such a brutal death because Jesus was actually willingly being punished by the Father for our sin. So this idea that God is punishing me for what I'm doing, no. Biblically, that doesn't hold up. To somehow think that God saves me, the only reason why he would ever save me, the only reason why he'd ever save you is because of Jesus. Some years ago, I was, I was in the hospital. Uh, I, I was having a pretty major surgery, and um, I, I was having a complication, uh, and um, my, I was leaking bile from my liver, if anyone cares. And uh, they said, we're going to operate. And I said, whoa, whoa, guys. I'm petrified of this stuff. I said, can, can, let's just, pr- I want to pray about this. Uh, and I don't know why I did that, because deep down I struggled with the fact that I thought God would rescue me. Um, but I just did it anyways. Uh, and throughout the night, sure enough, uh, I was leaking less and less bile. I thought, God did it. He rescued. He saved me from having another operation. And then uh, the nurse was checking uh, my thing uh, that was holding all the bile, and I, I coughed, a really weird cough. And I felt something kind of, Oop. and I went, no. And I started to leak bile again. And I'm like, God, I just broke your miracle. I'm so sorry. Could you save me again? Like, it was just in that moment that I began to understand that God would lift us up out of the pit. But the mistake I kept making is I kept putting myself in the center of the equation that, you know, uh, whether I was worthy or not, uh, whether I was deserved or not, whether my faith was good enough or not, whatever. And really what it is, is it's about the Lord. It's about His nature. It's about His character. It's about His grace. Then once that the Lord lifts us, what else does God do in this text? He sets my feet on a firm rock. So what the literal translation here is, He's, he's established my steps. 
So in, in this text, what we're seeing is from a hardship, King David is crying out, and God in his grace, though it was written by King David, it's also written for you and I as Jesus' people, that he pulls us up out of the, out of the uh, pit onto firm ground. Woo! I'm good. But God in his grace is saying, yes, now walk this way. So we don't fall back into the pit. We don't fall back into the same mistakes that we're doing this way. The crazy part is you and I, because of our stubbornness and because of our hard-heartedness, I think this is the hardest part for you and I, the establishing of my steps. We love, we'll be saved. Like the nation of Israel throughout Exodus, uh, throughout Joshua, the book of, like, it just, we, we see that God will rescue, God will rescue. What happens? They're on firm foundation, and they go back into disobedience. They go back into their sinless life. Can we actually experience, like, God's corrective uh, instructions for you and I are for you and I to be able to live a life of peace, a life of blessing, a life of purpose. Can, can, we, can we recognize that uh, Christianity is not only it's true, it's good, like it's good for us. So then why are we fighting the establishing of our steps, the moving in the direction that the Lord wants to? It's because we're ridiculous. That's why. We forget so many things about the Lord, his goodness or his faithfulness. We forget how frail we are and how we're so, pro, uh, so inclined to have this self-centered, narcissistic behavior. We forget that we want Jesus on our terms and spirituality our way. Chris, can we just remember? We have no clue we're weak, we're forgetful, we need to come to the Lord every day and to experience the mercies of God new every morning. This, I believe that this one step is where Christians go off the deep end. And here's the crazy part. When we get on a firm footing and then we don't actually let the Lord establish our steps and so we fall back in, to our disobedience and our sin, we blame God. How could you do this to me? Lord, you let me down again. And the text here was so clear. No, no. It was our own stubbornness. It was our own desire to be the one who will determine our steps. Let the Lord establish your steps. Let the Lord be the one to determine through the text of Scripture what is moral and what is not, what is good and what is not, what is righteous and what is not. Then the last thing that the Lord does is he puts a new song in my mouth. He puts a new song. So who? puts the song in, it's the Lord. The, the Lord does this. 
So uh, I had this interesting conversation with somebody just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was uh, letting them know uh, what my journey of depression was like. I was, you know, we were just talking, swapping, you know, terrible stories. And he said something to me. It was just a throwaway comment by him, but it meant so much to me. He goes, really? That, that was you? I said, yeah. He goes, I'd never know by how you are. What, what do you mean? You don't act like it. Guys, that just made my day. Why? Because that was the evidence of God put a new song in my heart. I didn't do it. I, I just received what God had for me and the byproduct, love, joy, peace, Galatians 5, right? Like, uh, I, I, I just leak what the Lord has done. Christian, if you can allow the Lord to do these four things... The fifth thing is he will put a new song in your mouth. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. If you and I can be people that can sing to the watching world this God-authored song, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. You know what happens next? Many will see and fear, and put their trust in God. What this world so desperately needs is not a bunch of Christians running around commenting on whether or not the church is being persecuted or not because we can or can't gather. Like, seriously, the, the world does not need that. To, to, for us to fight whether or not it's this or that, like, the world watches us chase our tail on some of these arguments. It only verifies why they don't want to even consider the Christian faith. It's almost like they don't care if it's true. They don't think it's good by watching. But if you would allow yourselves to just let bubble out of you this new song that God put in your heart. Like, guys, it won't even be work it won't. Many will see and fear uh, and, and have this, uh, they will see God, they will put their, uh, their fear God and his power and his wrath and put their trust in him, and then they too are going to be able to experience the, the, the blessing that comes with knowing God. It's not work when we're singing the song that God put in our heart. And there's something wonderfully authentic about it. I've talked to so many people, especially the men. So men, if I can maybe talk to you for a minute, we have a hard time with that. We kind of think we got to walk around with this air of machismo. No, I don't do that. And I'm not saying that we got to like literally sing songs. You know, it's just, it's, it's a song that's not necessarily musical. But men, I would love for you in moments at, in work or with your family or when you're with the guys to be able to sing the song. You know, um, uh, I was having coffee with a friend of mine um, yesterday, and uh, so uh, he just asked me a, a question of accountability, and so he and I were having this uh, conversation about accountability, and then we just began to just talk about the goodness of God. He goes, Cliff, can we just pray? I'm like, yeah, please, that would be amazing. Just two guys just singing without songs because 
I have a terrible voice, and my friend has an even worse voice. We're just singing this song. This is what the watching world needs, is to see Jesus' people living uh, transparent, authentic lives and just overflowing what the Lord has done. I'm just going to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not sure how you've been navigating the hardship. I'm I'm not sure if you've been making it about yourself. Not sure if you've been fighting. Can you just, in this quiet moment, wherever you are, can you just self-assess? How are you doing? What is the condition of your soul? Maybe this text is perfect for you right here, right now, this moment for you to wait and let the Lord reveal, let, uh, to allow you to discover what's true about him, what's true about us, what's true about the situation. And to just go through this little bit of a journey. Maybe there's some of you that, uh, as we were just going through this text, what you were feeling really uh, activated was the idea of singing this new song. Maybe you have not given yourself the license to actually be the person that Jesus has called you to be as a result of the work of his spirits. I just want to encourage you to allow yourself to be the person that God's calling you to be so this world can see and fear and put their trust in God. Lord, I just pray that as we just spend this time just considering that uh, you would speak to us that you would uh, point out in this simple three verses uh, which part is particularly uh, a pressure point for us. How can we humbly respond according to this text, respond according to the work of the Spirit and Jesus that we'd be able to do so so we could live the lives that you're calling us to be. We praise in your great name. Amen.